You can kick your fancy ales, you can take them by the flagon, but the only food for the raven tooth comes from the green dragon. While the defenders at the crossing of the River Aizen hold back the massed forces of Urukai and Dunlendings, smaller bands of warriors bypass that crossing, heading south from Orthanc and directly into the Westfold. Plundering and destroying all in their path, their goal is to sow terror and slay the people of Rohan. Despite the swiftness and savagery of these attacks, brave men of Rohan protect the innocent civilians from Sauron's raiders. Survival for the inhabitants of the Westfold seems slim, but the Rohan outriders are racing to their aid, and together they may yet be victorious. Welcome to the Green Dragon Podcast, your podcast about the Lord of the Rings Hobbit strategy battle game by Games Workshop. This scenario spotlight is about the scouring of the Westfold from the Two Towers Journey book, scenario number three. And it's just me today, just Jeremy. I'm going to go through this together. I've played it probably about three or four times recently and quite enjoyed the scenario. So I thought I would make it a scenario spotlight and get it out there just before we do our massive scenario spotlight of all our listeners' scenarios. So the participants for this scenario is a captain of Rohan with shield. So this one's on foot, just a foot model with shield. A captain of Rohan with shield and horse. So a mounted captain of Rohan. Then three Rohan outriders, these are mounted. And then a total of 12 warriors of Rohan, four with the shield, four with throwing spear and shield, and four with bow. So a single box of warriors of Rohan now, or single sprue as it used to be. One warrior of Rohan with banner, so a banner on foot and one rider of Rohan with banner, so a banner mounted as well. So you've got two groups, a group of five riders, captain, banner, three outriders, and a group of 14 warriors. So a captain, a banner, and then 12 basic warriors. For the evil side, you have a Dunland chieftain with two-handed axe. Then you have, I'll say the Dunland warriors now as well. You've got the Dunland warrior of banner, then three of each of the following, Dunland warriors with shield, Dunland warriors with two-handed axe, and Dunland warriors with bow. So basically, you've got 11 Dunland warriors, including the Chieftain, the Banner, and then three of each of the weapon options. Then you have a small Urukai scout force. So an Urukai captain with two-handed axe, scout captain two-handed axe. They've got the unreleased model in the picture here, so if you're lucky enough to have that, you can use that, but it's easy enough to convert one as well. Then you have eight Urukai scouts with shield, four Urukai scouts with orc bow, and no banner for these guys. So the Urukai scouts are basically on their own. You've got 12 of those led by a captain, so 13 all up. Not particularly a lot of models. So on the good side, you ended up with 14 foot models, 5 mounted models for a total of 19. And on the evil side, you've got 11 Dunland Warriors and then 13 Urukai, so for a total of 24. So not a huge scenario in terms of participants. The layouts on a 4, by four foot by 4 foot board so 48 inches by 48 inches, representing a typical village within the Westfold. So you've got three Rohan houses, and these houses are very important because they are the objectives. So normally I say for scenarios to double up the terrain, but this time don't double up the houses. Have three solid houses ready. You could put a, a well or some stables or something else if you wanted to, but make sure you've got the three houses. You also need a total of two small hills, one small wood and one large wood. These are specifically from the Fellowship and the Two Towers Journey books uh, scenery guides. So they've basically trying to get you to use the collection that you've built up over the time. I would double those. Um, I don't know if you necessarily need the hills. I don't think they add a lot to it. But I would double up the forest and then have some terrain that people can move around. 
just to make the board look better. Most of the action in this scenario happens in the middle, so you don't have to worry too much about it. And you've got three quite imposing line of sight blocking buildings, so the terrain works quite well in the scenario. Our objectives are going to be to defend the village against the Dunland and the Urukai. So the good player wins the scenario if at least two out of the three houses survive the game. So they've got a village of two houses left out of the three. They're okay. They've got enough shelter for everyone to stay in. They don't have to abandon the town. The evil player wins if the force can destroy all three of the houses by setting on fire. So the evil side is just being flat out evil, just burning innocent villages. If two houses are destroyed, the game's a draw. So... Maybe the Rohan will sit there and everyone will just camp in the one house and a few of them will jump off on the horses and go somewhere else. Or maybe they've taken enough casualties that they all fit in there, who knows. But but it's a draw, it's not a win there. The game will end if all three houses are destroyed or the raiders are killed. So we've got an end game condition in the objectives as well. So if all three houses are destroyed or the raiders, so the all the evil side are totally wiped out, that's when the game ends. Your starting position, the good player places the captain of foot and the warriors of Rohan within six inches of any of the houses. So this is quite a big area to deploy in and you have to choose how you split your warriors up and you don't have a lot, 14 models to deploy. The evil player then positions his models or her models touching any board edge with no more than eight models on any one edge. So the 24 models all up, all start ready to go and you can't have more than eight on one, one edge. So you could, I guess, attack from three sides at the max, at the minimum but you probably want to spread all four sides just to keep the Rohan player guessing and then try and attack any weak spots and go burn down a house. The Outriders Mounted Captain and Rider of the Rohan with Banner don't start the game, they come back later as reserves. So their rule for reserves in this the special rules is for reinforcements. They are going to, from turn two onwards, they make a roll before, for, before priority to see if they arrive. On turn two, the reinforcements arrive on a score of a six. And then each turn you add one to that roll. So, well, subtract one, I guess. So if they do not arrive, then on turn three, it's a five or a six. On turn four, it's a four, five or six. On a turn five, it's a three, four, five or six. And eventually they're going to get on automatically. So they will come on, but hopefully you don't have to wait seven turns for it. And when they come on, it does really change the game. Now the special rules, so I just read the reinforcements. We've got the burning houses. The Dunlendings and Urukai carry torches to set houses alight. So at the beginning of the fight phase, any evil mod model in contact with a Rohan house who has not used a missile weapon and is not engaged in a fight may attempt to set a house alight. You roll a die. On a five or six, the house is set ablaze. Additional evil models can help setting the house alight. For each additional evil model helping, reduce the score needed by one. A roll of one always fails. Once it is on fire, place a counter beside the house to show it is burning. Each turn that the building remains on fire, add another counter at the end of the fight phase on a score of a 4, 5, or 6. So what you do is you, you can add one counter a turn, and then at the end of the fight phase you can add another one. So potentially two counters add you onto a building a turn. Once the building has six counters, the fire has consumed it and the building is destroyed. So the aim is to get up to a score of 6. So we usually use a red die for this so we can do it the score but you could use fire tokens or you could use little wound markers or whatever you wanted to or you could have six stages of progressively burned houses if you wanted to go really to town on the modeling good models can attempt to beat out the flames before they can fully take hold at the beginning of the fight phase so this is another beginning of the fight phase any good model in base contact with a rowan house who has not used a missile weapon and is not engaged in the fight same restrictions may attempt to beat out the flames on a score of five or six remove a counter and once again this is reduced to by 
uh, extra models helping out, so it makes it easier. If the counter goes to zero, flames have gone, been extinguished completely, so you won't make that roll at the end of the fight phase. Now, this slight ambiguity here, who rolls first? It does make a slight difference, depending on actually whether you've set the house ablaze or not. So what we do as a, as a house rule is that the person with priority rolls this first, which means at times the good player would end up rolling first, and because the house is on fire is not on fire at all, they can't beat out the flames. Now, that's up to you how you play that. You might want to say it's always the evil player first, and the Rohan player always gets a chance to knock out the flames, but we like that because it gives priority some extra meaning, which is always a positive thing in scenarios. And there is one more special rule, the desperate defense. There are Hiram defending the village know full well that their lives, the lives of the innocents, possibly their families and friends are at stake if they cannot defeat the invaders. So it's a straight out, good side does not have to test for being broken in this scenario. This is a very common rules change in scenarios. Sometimes it's a little bit of a cop-out because I haven't planned the scenario out because the courage rules are actually really good and they make a lot of sense. But in this case, because you've got so few and the you want the Rohan to hold off before the evil comes, it's important that they, they don't take the break tests. It's going to be a fight to the death, basically. The Rohan will stay around, and they're guaranteed to stay around, even if there's only one or two of them, and they have to go and kill those the Urukai invaders. So it's not bad in this scenario, and the evil side will, will be broken. So they don't get that special rule. They could be broken as normal. It's also got the basic rules for points match, which is 300 points a side, all models on foot, two heroes on the good side, one on the evil side. You could do that if you wanted to. If you wanted to do maybe a, I don't know, a Dale village getting attacked by some hunter orcs or an, an elf settlement being attacked by goblins, who knows? So you could put together that. Once again, 300 points is probably a bit of a rough estimate. So if you do write your own scenario for it, which it could be a fun thing to do, make sure you test it out and maybe make some changes. Don't... Don't get too carried away with, with optimizing your points. Go for something that's very story-based and then add a few more points here and there if you have to. So the way this scenario plays, the, the good side starts off defending the, the village and they've got superior firepower initially. So they can shoot out the Urukai and the Dunland Warriors a little bit better than the Dunland and the Urukai can. When I say superior, the throwing weapons really help and the bows, mainly because you're stationary, the bows would help you out as well. What you don't want is to let the Urukai have a lot of shots at you. So if the Urukai set up their bowmen, don't be afraid to duck behind the buildings and not let them get a shot at you at all. Every Rohan man or woman is incredibly important in this scenario, so don't let them get easy shots at you. Use your bows, use your maneuverability, use your setup to make sure you get shots on the Defense 4 Urukai and the Defense 4 Dunland Warriors. So in that case, it's the two-handed axe Dunland Warriors, the bow Dunland Warriors, and then the Urukai scouts with bow. Shooting out their bows are actually really good. If you can shoot out the Dunland Banner, do it, because that's, that really helps you out later on. You're basically buying time for the Outriders to come on. So the Outriders and the Captain, once they come on, they'll pretty much dominate. Initially, the Rohan do not want to be in combat, because the Urukai and Dunland Warriors are good. They'll take you out pretty easily most of the time. Don't do what David likes to do and charge forward and take advantage of the Urukai being in four sides of the board because they'll probably break even. They've got a lot of shields, so the Urukai scouts can actually bait you forward and, and come across looking weak, and then they'll shield and wait till the whole army gets around you and, and rip apart a little part of your force. And once that happens, it starts getting hard to defend the buildings. The Urukai player wants to go and, and light buildings on fire, wants to light all three of them as soon as possible. So basically, you want to intimidate the Rohan player to get behind the buildings. You want to go light the buildings on fire, 
And once they're on fire, you want to go take out the foot rail hunt as soon as possible. So you want to make sure you've got the the extra blaze things going. You want to make sure that distracts the Rohan, and then you want to go and pick off Rohan basically from side to side. Sometimes the evil player will use a lot of heroics at the start to really whittle down the Rohan warriors, which is not a bad idea, but you do need that might for when you finally take on the captains because they can really mess you up. So don't be afraid to hold on to the might and just really use your advantage and use your superior fight value and, and your strength to go take down some of the weaker Rohan. So, of course, that's the Bowman. Get in contact with the Bowman wherever possible. You've got strength four across the board. You've got lots of two-handed axes. You're really quite aggressive. The trying to light the flames and trying to put out the flames is a real trick about how many models you actually devote to doing this. I tend to only really throw one or two models into dealing with flames at a time because the incremental benefit you get is not huge compared to the warrior being able to do other things. So, if they're not doing anything, by all means, try and put out the flames to try and add to the flames. But fighting the combat and reducing the numbers of either force is incredibly important. So you want to make sure that you've got enough warriors fighting to get the traps. You actually get a lot of traps in this scenario because you push them against the building and they've got nowhere to back up. So people start lighting fires one turn and then the next turn the Rohan charge them in and trap them against the building. And you can position it very cleverly so that you can't be charged because you'll be out of line of sight and around the sides of the buildings. So use the line of sight blocking buildings to help you out. Avoid the trap as an evil player to stand back and shoot for the whole game. It might seem tempting early on to knock out a few, but you actually want your Akai and your Dunlin Warriors up close, and you want them inside the building as soon as possible to give you additional protection from the Outriders. Now, you know which side the Outriders are coming on. They come on the east board edge, which is basically in the, the picture pretty much identical to every other board edge, but at least you know when they're coming on. So you can choose to put maybe the Shield or Akai over there, maybe keep some of your weaker models away from them to, to really halt their charge. You may or may not want to put your banner over there. You might want to put your banner somewhere opposite as well. Up to you. And when the riders do come on, first turn they shoot and then get into combat. Don't try and rely on the outriders' bows to help you out. Go charge one-on-one -on -one wherever possible. You've got your banner going, so you've got a really good chance of knocking them out and you've got some real aggression. Don't be afraid to use your captain to do heroic combats as well if it means repositioning your horses and being able to save more villagers. So go for that. You can't heroic combat then into the building and then make sure you light the fire. So they do say at the start of the fight phase, which is a good way to do that. It wouldn't matter anyway because you've already fought a combat, but don't try and be too tricky that way. Try and get the kills early on. Now modeling this scenario, this scenario needs a 4x4 board. So you've got pretty much a blank canvas there. I used my Rohan board made of the secret weapon miniature tiles which I've talked about before with some inbuilt forests and I inbuilt the buildings as well. The way I did this is I put little here starts blocks. They've got a, a boulder mold essentially, a, a rock foundation used for old ruins or all kinds of things. I put it one layer high, built it up on some cardboard and then stuck it onto the tiles slightly off center of the tiles so when I spun the tile the building would be pointing in a different direction to give me more options. And I put that, I made it slightly bigger, so probably about three mils wider than the building on all sides than the actual building. So then I got my foreground buildings, which are the old Saxon buildings, I believe, and put them on top of that. And the foundation makes them look really decent. So having that rock foundation does help out. I think buildings sometimes look a bit silly when they're just um, pasted on top of the, the terrain. It can look okay, but you want that foundation built in. The houses are rarely built flat. Oftentimes there's a little bit of angle to them where the ground's been built up or built down or they've been flattened out. 
So make sure you try and include that wherever possible in your terrain to just add a little bit of extra realism to it. And that's the way I've been able to do that with the rocks. So I'll be able to put some natural variation in the ground. For trees, I, th I think some trees are a very good idea. I can see people building villages near trees, near some natural shelter where you've got access to firewood and all kinds of things. And they're, they're building the houses out of wood. So having them near trees makes a lot of sense as well. So some trees on the board look really nice, which is in the picture. The rocks, Rohan in the movies, and that has a lot of these yellowy grasses and, and the rocks. So that's a key feature. You want to have the rocks around there. You want to have some difficult ground. Don't keep the difficult ground too close to the village because, of course, then the Urukai will use it to avoid the, the charges quite a bit. So, And the village would probably clear the ground a fair bit. You wouldn't want to have these rocky outcrops right in front of your house. So have them a little bit around the outside. But do have them so that the, the Urukai can use them for a bit of cover, use them to jump into to defend themselves against the horses, and to break up the movement as well, to make some little corridors that people have to go through. If you really want to go town modelling the scenario as well, you could look at ways of which to have removable roofs for the, the Rohan houses. It doesn't always look great when they are actually fully burnt out and they still look intact. So one thing to consider is to have replacement houses, burn out the houses, have a charred remains of it on some the foundations, or maybe have the roof currently burning. You could also model your evil warriors with fiery brands, which is easy to do. You basically give them a, a stick for a weapon, which you can find pretty easily, and then sculpt some some green stuff flames on there. You could, I guess, make them make them solar torches as well if you wanted to build a little wire frame and then put maybe even the tufts from the Riders of Rohan horses. There's these little bits of grass that you use to fill the holes in the bases. And they make really nice flames to put in torches. So that could be a really nice way of making the scenario look good if you want to go to town on that. I do think that's a good idea sometimes. If you find a scenario you like, is to, to really put some time into modeling it. Because it's the one that you bring to shows. It's the one you, you teach people the game on. It's the one you get people inspired about. And nothing gets people inspired about a game more than some really nice looking terrain. So that's my recommendation for the modeling. I think this board is well worthwhile doing because it works for a points match as well. Because you've got all kinds of terrain. You've got your woods, which you can make a feature of it. You've got your, your rock areas, which break up the ground. You've got some raised areas of ground if you do include the hills with the, the rocks on one side. And you've got your houses, which I think are fantastic for points match games because they block the line of sight, but they also create a nice area to trap people against. So they really add a lot of tactics to the game. So I think this one, it's a bit of work to make this scenario, but I think it's well worth it in terms of the terrain. I think you get a huge amount of use out of this terrain unlike some of the other scenarios in the game. They've got full guides of how to make it in the Fellowship Journey book and the Two Towers Journey book, but you can probably make it in a similar way that I did as well, if you wish. In terms of the models, you have to model up an Urukai captain with two-handed axe. You may not have access to Dunlin Warriors anymore. I don't know they're all still being sold. So things like historic Viking models are actually really good for these. The Dunlin Warriors are slightly big than the scale, so the Vikings would actually match reasonably well. So you could do that. You could actually use Rohan to model them as well if you wanted to. You could maybe swap the heads out, take the helmets off with some historic models. Change up the shield I think is probably a good idea because that makes them look very different. And you could use that, somehow get some two-handed axe ones. Or you could do something else like maybe use Army of the Dead perhaps for the Dunland Warriors. Get some green stuff in there, clean up their, their faces and some of the more obvious dead parts. Still have some of the tattered, tattered rags and things. And I think they would make fantastic Warriors of Dunland. I might actually try that, see if they can 
mix in a little bit because that could be fun to do as a conversion options. The Urukai Scouts are still well and truly available. Urukai Captain with Two-Handed Axe. We did a whole bunch of talk about how to convert these up in one of the episodes with Danny on. I think it was something about Masters, Mastering Middle-Earth or something along those lines where Danny used a whole bunch of Urukai Scouts in his tournament and converted them up. So feel free to go back to that episode to look at how to convert up Urukai Scouts. Uh, as a short way of doing it, using Ugluck models is great because you've got the hands separate, so you can put a two-handed axe in Ugluck really, really easily. If you don't have Outriders for Rohan, basically you could just maybe sculpt a bit of plumage on the helmets of your normal Riders of Rohan and pull off the shield, and that might be enough for them. So I know three riders, are, three Outriders are, can be steep in terms of the cost to buy, but Riders of Rohan aren't, so maybe you convert up your own Maybe for the scenario, just use the Riders of Rohan with the bow because there's no others to confuse them for. So you don't necessarily need the Outriders. I do like that they're included because the fact that they would get to the village first makes a lot of sense. But in terms of a game, you don't get a huge amount of difference out of them either way. The main difference is that they're only defense four. So the strength four across the board evil side can wound them when they do lose fight quite easily. So do have a go with this scenario if you get a chance. I've quite enjoyed it. I've played it quite a few times, three or four times again against Nick and against David. And we've got results both ways. It's usually quite tense. Because the fire mechanic builds up slowly, you've got time to react, which I think is always a good thing. It doesn't just instantly happen in one turn. You get some lucky turns, but then you need a few more lucky turns afterwards, or you need to consolidate that. So that gives you the challenge of it. I love the scenarios with limited amounts of models. I think that's where the rules really shine. So 19 models on one side, 24 on the other is the perfect number. And it'll give you a good just over an hour's entertainment so have a go at the scenario if you wish it's in the two towers journey book which is not available anymore but you should still be able to get hold of that somewhere and good luck traps win games thank you for listening to the green dragon podcast please be advised that the green dragon podcast is not suitable for children the elderly pregnant women those with a history of heart conditions or anyone expecting to receive worthwhile advice you can contact us on the Green Dragon Podcasts at gmail.com. Yes, it has an S at the end. Or our Facebook page, The Green Dragon Podcast. We do not claim ownership of any works based on J.R.R. Tolkien, New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers, or Games Workshop. This podcast is purely for entertainment. The thoughts, as rare as they are, are solely that of our hosts and guests. Farewell, listener, until we meet again.